0: Our reading is a continuation of Luke chapter 6, this time starting at verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who'd come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all.
1: Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. The blunt, uncompromising beatitudes that Luke gives us in his gospel pull no punches. They make for disturbing reading whether you class yourself as rich or poor. For the wealthy among us, we may be left feeling a bit battered after the threefold woes calling down imprecations on our heads simply because we are happily enjoying financial security and a good reputation and we don't relish the prospect of losing those and going up hungry and feeling desolate. And for those of us who are poor, who are marginalised and who have nothing to celebrate, how do we react to being called blessed because of being in that condition? And what's meant by the promise that those who go hungry will be satisfied and those who weep now will laugh? When and how is this supposed to happen? Is this a call to revolution? To oust the powerful from their mansions? Turn the social order upside down? Was Jesus really a communist after all? Or is he just saying, well, when you get to heaven, it'll all be all right then? In which case, you just have to sit tight and put up with it. Uh, and wait until you reach the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. His words can be used as a way of keeping the poor in their place. So whether you're rich or whether you're poor, Jesus' words are provocative, to say the least. And they leave everyone wondering precisely what he meant and what, if anything, we're supposed to do about it. Jesus clearly isn't describing realities. It's commonly perceived. And it's that which makes his words so incongruous But what does he intend to achieve by blessing the poor and cursing the rich? Well, one of the things he's tackling head-on is the common perception that people who have money in the bank, food in their belly and happiness in their hearts are somehow a cut above those who are poor, hungry and unhappy. If our lives are together, we're better than they are. One of the things he says very firmly is that is not the case. There are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. And if you pride yourself on what you have and look down on those who have not, then you are placing yourself firmly in his sights as he denounces that attitude with a series of woes. To some extent what is going on here is about attitude and mindset because the way you think, the way you feel about yourself actually has a crucial part to play either in achieving success or trapping you in poverty. Tearfund actually are people who are trying to put the Beatitudes into practice in today's world. They're committed to lifting people out of poverty in the poorest sectors of our globe and they see that poverty is not just about the absence of material resources. They understand that poverty is rooted in broken relationships with God, a damaged understanding of ourselves, injustice in relationships between people and exploitative relationships with the environment. And Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Plain address two of those factors. In pronouncing a blessing on those who are poor, hungry, upset and marginalised, the message he conveys is that these factors do not mean that people in this condition are worthless or of no account in the sight of God. In pronouncing woes on the self-indulgent rich who see nothing beyond their own happiness, Jesus addresses the exploitative injustices which lie behind the ways in which the rich get richer at the expense of the poor. And that's why when Tearfund tackle poverty, they address a range of issues. Injustice, exploitation, climate change. And they perceive that underlying all this is our estrangement from God. A broken relationship with our Creator affects our relationships with each other and with the world in which we live, and also with ourselves in our innermost being. They're not just about giving aid. They recognise that poverty is as much a state of mind as it is a lack of resources. They recognise that people's lives only change for the better when hearts and minds are transformed as well as circumstances. That's why for the past 12 years they've been running a programme called Church and Community Mobilisation where churches work with local communities to take practical, positive actions to address the issues that they face using their own resources. And an evaluation of the project found that the programme had a profound effect on people's confidence and commitment to transform their situations, Helping to strengthen community relationships. It was launched in Uganda. Schools and nurseries were established, wells were dug and the were, trains were put in place, village saving groups were started, people learned new farming techniques and improved health facilities. But the vital ingredient, perhaps the decisive factor, was changing people's mindsets, from thinking there's nothing we can do, we're helpless, it's hopeless, to realising that they can be empowered to do things for themselves. So households engaged in this program more likely to have a latrine and to use bed nets. They spend more on healthcare. They have healthier children, higher agricultural yields. They make more profits. They're more involved in the community. They are more positive about the future and their ability to help themselves. Liu was just tri- returned from a tri- two-week trip in Zambia and Tanzania with Tear Fund. One of the bishops in Tanzania said, the real change is not financial, it's mindset change. It's the return of hope to those who had lost hope it's the church being salt and light and when that happens you begin to see jesus words and the beatitudes being put into practice when jesus pronounced a blessing on the poor he said they were blessed because the kingdom of god belonged to them and he talks about the kingdom as a present reality in their lives he's not saying you're blessed because one day you'll go to heaven and everything will be all right then He's not saying, you need to rise up and oust those in power and establish your own revolutionary government. He's saying, here and now, the kingdom of God is yours. And the kingdom of God can make a difference. In God's kingdom, the hungry are fed. Those who weep end up laughing. The kingdom brings with it the capacity for change. Because the way things now are not the way they're supposed to be. Not the way they need to be. With God's help in God's kingdom, you can make a difference. What happens in the future need not be a foregone conclusion. And to have a holistic view of how the kingdom impacts people's lives in different ways. It's about having a living faith, but more besides. It's about building good social connections. About building good personal relationships about emotional, mental and physical health. It's about developing the capacity to participate in what is going on and influencing the outcome. Equipping and training people to develop their capabilities, discovering and releasing material assets and resources, engaging with stewardship of the environment. The kingdom affects people at all these different levels. And part of what it does is shift the mindset away from helplessness and hopelessness the things that entomb entire communities in poverty and there is a recognition that the kingdom can make a difference it can empower people to harness and use their own resources for change poverty in africa is one thing poverty in the uk is something entirely different The rising use of food food banks in this country is a sure indication that the system here is badly broken and every indication is that the rolling out of universal credit is only going to make matters worse. Yet a retired physician, writing under the name of Theodore Dalrymple, spent time working in sub-Saharan Africa and in the inner cities and prisons of the UK. And what he said was this, in Africa, I never saw the loss of dignity, the self-centeredness, the spiritual and emotional vacuity or the sheer ignorance of how to live that I see daily in England. The worst poverty is in England and it's not material poverty but poverty of the soul. So the kingdom of God brings change and the change needs to start here if any lasting or worthwhile difference is to be made. We have mass, massive social problems in this country and it's a deeply spiritual problem partly because the church simply doesn't know how to engage with significant sectors of our society. Maybe the fault lies with us because we haven't really grasped what kingdoms is re- God's kingdom is really all about. All those different facets of what Tia Fun said it was about. Perhaps because we've tended to retreat into churches where we can enjoy being well off, where we can be well fed and contented with our lot. But let's recognise as well that in 21st century Britain the majority of people aren't interested in what the church has to offer. We're dismissed as being weird, irrelevant or just part of the problem. And attitudes that Christians run across here are a long way off the kind of abuse that Jesus said his followers would have to contend with. But let's not forget he pronounced a blessing on those who are hated and insulted and mocked for their faith. There is a, a cost in following Jesus if we are part of a world that rejects God and his kingdom. But it's as we set our hearts on following Jesus that we have the capacity to make a difference, to be salt and light in the society where God has placed us. Reed Monaghan talks about four different groups of people. He says you could be poor in wealth and rich in the kingdom, honest, hardworking, doing things right, but not just pulling in much money for yourself. Perhaps, actually, because you're giving what you have away to others and sharing it with them. You can be poor in wealth and poor in the kingdom. Maybe that's because there's not the motivation there, a sense of being trapped in poverty. Some people are lazy or dishonest scheming, but actually there's no generosity of spirit and there's no finance either. You can be rich in wealth and poor in the kingdom. You can be wealthy hoarding, not generous. Having what you have because you oppress others, you're dishonest and you rip them off. Or you could be rich in wealth and rich in the kingdom. Having more than enough and generous with it. Which way of life receives God's blessing? In which category do you belong? Where does God want you to be? And bearing in mind that the kingdom of God brings the capacity to a change, what are you going to do about it? As so often, Jesus turns things inside out. We perceive wealth, financial security, having money in the bank as what life is all about. We, we spend our lives, some of us, trying to achieve that. But in the kingdom of God, it's not what you have in the bank that matters. It's the generosity of spirit that counts. Because grace is all about giving. And people have been to the poorest parts of the world, so they've got so little, and yet they are so generous with what they have. And they give, and they give, and they give, because that is the way in which they live. Which category do we come into? If the kingdom of God is about changing attitudes, do our attitudes need changing? Do we need to be people who live out God's grace in practice? However much or however little we might have in terms of financial resources, what do we do with what we've got? Do we live the kind of lives which which receive Jesus' blessing or our attitudes, those which need to be changed because otherwise we'll come into the category of those on whom he pronounces a woe? Let's spend a moment to think and reflect and then I'll lead us in prayer. Lord, we find your words disturbing, troubling. We're not sure what to make of them. They confront us with the reality of your kingdom and the challenge of your kingdom. Your words are provocative, and that's exactly what you intended. Not providing easy answers, but pulling us up short. Making us think about the kind of people who receive your blessing. Not because of what we have or don't have, but because of the people that we are and the way in which we live. Bring your kingdom into our hearts, into our lives, into our priorities. Transform our attitudes, our relationships, our motivations. Lord, we want to be people who receive your blessing, who find the happiness that comes from being right with you, right with each other, right in our workplace, right with ourselves. Set us right, we pray. May your kingdom come, your will be done in and through our lives. We ask it in your name. Amen.